This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. A school shooting was in progress and the students barricaded themselves in their classroom. Then they heard a knock on the door saying it was the police. Was it the police or the shooter? This is Apple for the Teacher, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Anna Thomas. Today's episode is called Shoot to Kill. A shooting was in progress at a school. What happened? Just a note before starting. Apple for the Teacher does not name perpetrators out of respect to the victims. The incident at the centre of this story occurred only four months ago in November 2021. It was just another school day at the Oxford High School in Detroit, Michigan in the US, but the staff and students had no idea that they were about to be added to the list of school shootings in the US. However, the details of this particular shooting would go on to be unlike any other. It was around lunchtime when the school's intercom announced that an active shooter situation was in progress. The school went into immediate lockdown. Staff and students barricaded themselves in classrooms, placing whatever furniture they could against the doors and windows. In one classroom, the students had turned out the lights and many were on their phones to 911 or their families. And that's when they were taken by surprise by a knock at their door. A student recorded what happened on their phone. The man knocking says it's the sheriff's office and a student confirms they are there in the room. The students scamper around the room, some hiding under their desks, not sure if it's really the police or the shooter. The man tells them it's safe to come out, to which a student responds. We're not willing to take that risk right now. I can't hear you. We're not taking that risk right now. Yeah, bro. He said bro. Red flag. (laughs) The student repeats that they're not willing to take the risk of coming out, to which the officer replies, okay, then come to the door and look at my badge, bro. One student says, he said bro. Red flags. They feel that an officer would not use the word bro and believe that it's really the shooter, and here's what happens next. Drop your backpacks. Drop your backpacks. 
the students decide to flee the room, convinced it was the shooter pretending to be police. They jumped out of a window and all made it to safety. But as it turned out, it actually had been the police. Their instincts had told them to run, and they had been convinced that they had escaped almost certain death. So you can imagine their shock when they found out the true identity of the shooter. It was a 15-year-old student at their school. The shooting had left four students dead and many others injured. The police had arrived at the school five minutes after the first 911 call was received, which had been only one of over 100 calls that had been made. They saw the boy come out of a bathroom holding a gun. Upon seeing the police, the boy promptly laid the weapon down on the ground and was apprehended without incident. The gun still had seven rounds in it. As one officer said, we interrupted what could have led to several more victims. The way I see it, there were seven more victims in that gun. Now, as it's only very early days in this case, it's currently progressing through the courts. Therefore, the information you are about to hear is what has been reported in the media. So just keep in mind that there are a number of allegations made about the shooter, about how the school handled the situation, and also about the parents' involvement. So some of these details are yet to be substantiated in court. So with any school shooting, people inevitably ask if anyone saw any signs that this boy could carry out such a crime, or did it totally come out of the blue? Was he a boy that no one had suspected to be capable of committing such an horrific act? In this boy's case, it appears that the crime did not come as a surprise to many. A number of things had happened in the days before, which ultimately culminated in four students losing their lives. So let's look at the timeline in the days leading up to the shooting. It was four days before that the boy and his father entered a shooting goods store. He bought his son a semi-automatic handgun, a 9mm Sig Sauer. Christmas was only weeks away and this was the boy's Christmas present. The boy was thrilled and posted a photo on Instagram of himself holding the gun with a caption that said, Just got my new beauty today, Sig Sauer 9mm. Any questions, I will answer. The next day, they went to a shooting range and posted a message to social media which read, Testing out my new Christmas present. On the day before the shooting, the boy was in class and his teacher saw him looking at websites about bullets on his cell phone. She reported this to the school officials who called the boy's mother. As they couldn't reach her, they left a voicemail and also sent her an email informing her of what he had been doing on his phone. But his mother did not respond, although she had heard the voicemail and read the email. Instead of calling the school, she sent her son a text message saying, quote, Seriously? Looking at bullets in school? And he replied, What? Oh yeah, I already went to the office for that. It was in the first hour. All I did was look up certain calibre at the end of class because I was curious. It was on my phone. Completely harmless. Teachers just have no privacy. They said I'm all good. I understand why they talk to me and they said I am good. This is nothing I should get into trouble about. His mother then said, you're not. They left me a voicemail. 
and she included emojis of a woman covering her face. Did you at least show them a pic of your new gun? He responded, No, I didn't show them a pic, my God. I only told them I went to the range with you on Saturday. It was a harmless act. I have this bullet cartridge in my room that I didn't know what kind of bullet it was and it said it was a twenty-two. So at the end of first hour, I just looked up different types of twenty-two bullets and I guess the teachers can't get their eyes off my screen. SMH, which stands for shake my head. His mother replied, LOL, I'm not mad at you. You have to learn not to get caught. He says, I know, LOL, with laughing emojis. I just didn't want something this little to get me into trouble. I want to hear the voicemail when I get home, though. Also, I never tried to hide looking up the bullet. I just didn't think a teacher would be staring at my phone. And his mother said, OK, I saved it, referring to the voicemail. So this exchange happened the day before the shooting. Now we come to the day of the shooting, and the boy had attended his classes as normal. But it was in one of these classes that the teacher found he had done a violent drawing on a maths worksheet. It showed a handgun with a person who had been shot with lots of blood and also a laughing emoji. There were words which read, The thoughts won't stop. Help me. My life is useless. And the world is dead. The teacher took a photo of the drawing and after informing the principal, the boy's parents were summoned to the school and a meeting took place at around 10am. By the time the boy had been escorted to the office, he had already attempted to rub out the drawing. He said it was part of a video game design. The principal informed the parents that they were required to provide their son with counselling within 48 hours. During the meeting, the boy had his backpack with him, and unbeknownst to everyone, it contained the gun his father had brought him. And what happened next was to become crucial. They told the parents to take their son home, but they refused, and he was then returned to class. It would then be only a matter of an hour later that the shooting would start. Just before 1pm, the boy took his backpack into a bathroom and took out the gun. He walked out of the bathroom and started firing at students in the hallway. Four students died and six were wounded, including a teacher. When the news of the shooting was broadcast through the media, the boy's mother sent her son a text only 30 minutes after saying, blank, don't do it. It would then be 15 minutes later that the boy's father called 911 to report that a gun was missing from his house and that he believed his son had been the school shooter. The gun had been kept in a drawer in the parents' bedroom. Here is what he said in that 911 call. I'm at my house. There's an active shooter situation going on at the high school. My son's at the high school. I have a missing gun at my house. I need an officer to come to my house right away, please. The dispatcher says, OK, I'm not going to be able to send anybody to your house right now because they're on the active shooter situation. I understand that. There's a million cops there. I have a missing gun and my son is at the school and we had a meeting with the counsellor this morning because of something he wrote on a math paper and I was in town and I saw a whole bunch of cops go somewhere and then someone told me that there was an active shooter and then I raced home and I think my son took the gun. I just know it. My son's name is blank. The boy was ultimately charged as an adult 
with first-degree murder, assault with intent to murder, possession of a firearm during the commission of a felony, and also with the charge of terrorism causing death. This charge of terrorism came as a surprise to many, and it appears that this was the first time that such a charge had been filed in relation to a shooting incident on school grounds. It came as the result of a law enacted in Michigan after the 9-11 attacks 20 years earlier. The law defines a terroristic act as one intended to intimidate or coerce a civilian population, which in this case was the Oxford High School community. The prosecutor in the case had the following to say about this terrorism charge. This is why we have this law. It's for this type of case. This is not just a murder case. It's going to terrorise a generation of these kids who were in the school. The impact is on thousands of people. After the charges were read, the boy's lawyer requested he be moved to a juvenile facility where he could continue his schooling and also because it would be better for his mental well-being. He stated the boy should not be considered a threat to other youth in prison. But the prosecutors argued this request was absurd as he had already demonstrated that he was a threat to children by murdering four of them in a premeditated plan. Thankfully, the request was rejected. The police investigation after the shooting revealed how the parents had purchased the gun for their son and that they hadn't properly secured the weapon. They were both subsequently charged with four counts of involuntary manslaughter as a result of their son's actions. Such charges against the parents were said to have been very rare. It wasn't common for parents to be held accountable for the actions of their children. They were alleged to have neglected or failed to recognise the warning signs about their son's possible mental distress. So here is how this conclusion was drawn. The boy had previously told his parents that he had been hearing voices and that he thought their house was haunted. Here are some texts he had sent his mother. In this first text, he is at home alone and texts the following. Can you get home now? There's someone in the house, I think. Someone walked into the bathroom and flushed the toilet and left the light on. And I thought it was you. But when I came out, there was no one home. There's no one in the house, though. Dude, my door just slammed. Maybe it's just my paranoia. But when are you going to get home? His mother doesn't respond. And then later, he sends these messages. Okay, the house is now haunted. Some weird shit just happened and I'm scared. I got some videos and a picture of the demon. It is throwing bowls. I'm not joking, it effed up the kitchen. Can you at least text back? He then says he saw flying clothes. I finished picking up the room. I cleaned until the clothes started flying off the shelf. This stuff only happens when I'm home alone. I picked the clothes back up though. In another text to a friend, he stated he was hearing voices and seeing people and that he wanted to talk to his parents about this and ask if he could see a doctor. He wrote, I am mentally and physically dying. So although it was rare to make parents culpable for their children's actions, the prosecutor stated that it was appropriate in this case, saying they knew that their son was having severe emotional problems, but they took no heed of that. They acted with what we call extreme negligence. Charging the blanks doesn't mean 
that in every tragic accident that the parents would be held responsible. But in this case, where they seemed to be on notice, ignored all the warning signs and didn't take basic precautions, the charges are meant to hold the individuals who contributed to this tragedy accountable and also send a message that gun owners have a responsibility. As already seen, after hearing about the shooting, the mother's reaction was to text her son and say, blank, don't do it. The prosecutor said that showed that they had enough of a concern to react. Rather than texting your son, where are you? You've already formulated that it's him. That shows me that there was some knowledge in some capacity that this was a dangerous person. So after being charged, the parents were due to appear in court for their arraignment, but failed to attend. Despite their lawyer's efforts to contact them, the couple did not respond and officials had no choice but to issue a BOLO, which stands for Be On The Lookout Alert. After not being located, they were officially declared fugitives. Wanted posters were released and a reward of $10,000 was offered for information leading to their capture. The police attempted to find their location via cell phone pings, but they had turned off their phones. After checking bank transactions, it was found that they had withdrawn $4,000 from an ATM about 10 minutes away from where they lived. That first night, their car was found abandoned about 50 miles away. The next day, the couple were eventually found hiding in a Detroit warehouse. Now in custody, the parents then attended a number of hearings in the months following the shooting to determine if they would face trial. During one such court appearance, the parents were seen to make gestures and communicate with one another, including mouthing the words, I love you, and blowing kisses to one another. The judge responded to this by saying, Mr. and Mrs. Blank, this is a court proceeding. While maybe I'm looking away or someone else is looking away, you're not to have communication with each other. It's disruptive, it's disgraceful, it's disrespectful. These communications not only disparage the integrity of the judicial proceedings as a serious distraction, but are also traumatic for families of the deceased victims. The court heard testimony from a number of people who knew the family, including a friend of the boy's mother. She had mentioned on a number of occasions that she knew her son was troubled long before the shooting happened. Quote, she said that he did not have any friends. She thought it was weird that he wasn't out doing things like a normal kid. Testimony was also heard from the mother's boss. Before coming to work on the day of the shooting, she had sent her boss a message saying, quote, I have to go to my kid's school. Counselor just called and this is what I'm dealing with. And what she referred to here was her son's drawing, which the school had emailed her. She sent the photo to her boss. The parents then had the meeting with the school and afterwards she went to work. Her boss recalled, I recall asking her how things were, how she was doing, and she had said that her son needed to get some counselling and she felt like she was failing or failed him. The boss urged her to take her son out of school that day. I said it would be nice for her to take him out for a day, go see a movie, go to lunch, do something with him. She should have brought him home. I thought this child needed to be around family. After hearing about the shooting, his mother went home and shortly after sent her boss a message which said, 
the gun is gone and so are the bullets. Oh my God, he's going to kill himself. I need a lawyer. At substation with police, blank did it. Sometime later, she sent another text which said, I need my job. Please don't judge me for what my son did. And the boss's reaction to this was, I was surprised by that text. I was surprised she was worried about her job at the time. I thought she'd be more worried about what was going on. She thought she could possibly come back to work in a few days, maybe for half a day to get things off her mind. And we said, no, you're on leave. Don't worry about coming into work. We'll talk in a couple of weeks. Another person who provided testimony was a lady who owned a horse boarding farm. The Foyce family owned two horses, which were boarded at the farm. On the day of the shooting, the boy's mother had scheduled a riding lesson at the farm after school and had planned for her son to come along as well. She said to the trainer in a message before attending the lesson, quote, he can't be left alone. Due to the shooting, they obviously didn't attend the lesson, but she did send the trainer a photo on her phone of the drawing the boy had made at school and told her about the meeting at the school. The trainer recalled being very alarmed. I was alarmed. I thought that was not normal. All of the violence all over the page. The trainer then received a message later in the day from a friend who told her about the shooting at the school and her response was, my thought is that it was blank. I know they own guns and go out shooting and that math test with everything written on it made me think it was him. The mother also sent the trainer a Facebook message only about an hour after the shooting which read, I need to sell my horses, stat. While the cases against the boy and his parents were progressing through the courts, the families of the victims filed a lawsuit against the school, seeking to have school officials held accountable for the shooting. It alleged that they made the situation worse, as described here, quote, The principal excited blank by pulling him out of class, warning him that child protective services might be called, thereby encouraging blank to accelerate his timetable for murder, removing the teen from class in front of his classmates and making him sit for an hour and a half while waiting for his parents further escalated his plan. The lawsuit claimed that the school only threatened to involve child protective services but should have followed through. They felt that there had been enough incidents to warrant this action. As well as looking at guns in class and the drawing he had done, there were other incidents involving the boy that had occurred prior to the shooting. About three weeks earlier, he had brought a jar to school which had a bird's head inside in yellow liquid. He showed it to a number of the students who informed school staff. They issued a statement to parents that the incident was nothing to worry about. Quote, Please know that we have reviewed every concern shared with us and investigated all information provided. We want our parents and students to know that there has been no threat to our building nor our students. Now, as if this wasn't disturbing enough, the school then had to deal with a deer's head being found in the school grounds. Given the bird's head that the boy had brought in previously, it was assumed that he was also responsible for the deer's head. Also, on the day before the shooting, he had posted a message on Twitter which read, Now I have become death, the destroyer of worlds. See you tomorrow, Oxford. 
The boy had also allegedly videotaped himself torturing animals, had made Molotov cocktails at home, did a drawing of himself in his journal shooting up his school and sent a text to a friend saying, it's time to shoot up a school. He was also said to have brought bullets to school and shown the other students. So the lawsuit alleged that the school had not properly dealt with the boy, allowing alarming behaviour to ultimately end in the shooting. In response to the lawsuit, the school superintendent issued a letter to the school community in which he discussed some of the allegations made against the boy. And here is some of what was said. Quote, There have been numerous irresponsible and false allegations as well as inaccurate claims regarding Oxford Community Schools. Additionally, we have received several inquiries related to the events leading up to the tragic incident on November 30. We feel it is important to clarify the details we can address at this time. The Deerhead incident was investigated by law enforcement and was in no way related to the perpetrator of the November 30 incident. Social media posts students shared after this event were also investigated and shared with law enforcement. They were also in no way related to the perpetrator of the November 30 incident. The head of a bird was found in a jar in a student restroom at the high school. It was brought to the attention of and investigated by law enforcement. In addition to school personnel reviewing video footage over two days and the interviewing of several students, law enforcement investigated the birdhead incident before November 30 and determined that there was no threat to the high school. They were unable to determine when or how the jar was delivered. No threat or other content accompanied the strange act. Allegations regarding live ammunition being discovered at the school are completely false. We have no record or report of live ammunition ever being reported at any school and we have strict protocols and procedures in place when it comes to weapons on school grounds. So we know that this case is only in its very early days and therefore it remains to be seen whether the allegations against the boy and his parents are confirmed. Whether the parents go to trial or not, no one can deny that these are appalling parents. In all of the cases I have covered of kids who have gone astray, I have never heard of such a case as this one with parents who were just so blatantly irresponsible, people who clearly should never have had children. So stay tuned to find out what happens in this story. And now I have an update for you. So since I recorded this episode, I've been able to find further information and it's now been confirmed that the parents will stand trial for the deaths of the four victims. Here is what the judge said. After hearing extensive testimony as well as evidence and reviewing and viewing extensive exhibits, the court finds that the deaths of the four victims could have been avoided if blank, referring to the parents, exercised ordinary care and diligence in the care of their son. And I'd also like to pay respects to the four students. They were Hannah St. Juliana, Tate Meyer, Justin Schilling and Madison Baldwin. Now at this early stage in the case, there really isn't much information about these students. I guess the parents are just keeping out of the media 
as they have their own court case, which is pending as well. So that's the latest information. And now let's preview the next episode. It's called The Picnic. The students went on a school picnic. What happened? And to end this episode, I will leave you with this quote. The sign of great parenting is not the child's behaviour. The sign of truly great parenting is the parent's behaviour. Bye for now and remember to be a good apple.